0: Welcome to another inspirational message from Dean Community Church, Gateshead. For more information about Dean visit www.chowdean.org.uk. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Well, today we're going to start a new 10-week teaching series looking at the Lord Jesus, looking at his life, his ministry, his death and resurrection. And I'm really excited about it because I'm looking forward to learning more about our Lord together. John Bates said to me a few weeks ago, it's an inexhaustible subject, Heather. We can never know all there is to know about Jesus, who stands unique in history. He's referred to as the one and only, several times in the Bible, John in his gospel says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. And again, he says, no one has seen God, but God, the one and only who was at the Father's side has made him known. Now, just recently in my personal prayer and Bible study, I'm using a commentary by Bishop Tom Wright. And he was writing about the calling of the first disciples. And he explains that these were just ordinary men who were going about their everyday business, fishing and mending their nets, when a young man came walking along the shore and called them to follow him. Now, Peter didn't think to himself, right, now if I follow him, one day I'm going to have this huge church in Rome called after my name. And Andrew didn't think, "Mm, yes, if I follow him, someday I'll be the patron saint of several countries. They couldn't know that one day they would be martyred for the choice they made that day. No, they only saw him. And that was enough. They just saw Jesus and it was enough. Such was his magnetism, his charisma. It was compelling. We're not following a religion. We're following a person. And my prayer is that as we go through this series over the next few weeks, we're just going to catch sight again of that magnificent, magnetic, unique Jesus. So I'm just going to read a couple of verses of Scripture from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Now, several of the commentaries that I looked at said that the word our shouldn't be there, that Jesus is the author and perfecter of faith. And in the previous chapter in Hebrews 11, There's a list of heroes of faith, Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Moses, many more. They were all commended by God for their faith, great men and women. But Jesus, he stands above them all. He's supreme and unique. So we fix our eyes on him throughout our earthly journey. The Greek term, which is translated fix your eyes on, means to take your eyes off other things and to fix them onto something. Take your eyes off self, off the distractions of the world, eyes off your present circumstances, and fix your eyes on Jesus. Now, during his earthly life, Jesus often spoke to his followers in parables. They were stories about everyday things that had a deeper spiritual meaning. Now, last week, Stuart was talking to us about how God had spoken to him through his experience on a zip wire And so last week, we had the parable of the zip wire. So I think that on occasion, God does speak in parables. So I want to tell you this morning, the parable of Ivy. Now, most mornings, my husband Colin and I take our small terrier for a walk around Windy Nook Nature Park. That's a beautiful little oasis that's just brimming with trees and wildflowers. Now, Ivy is distracted by everything. She stops to sniff at things on the path. She jumps into long grass. She's greeting other dogs. Sometimes she growls at them and all the other things that dogs do on walks. However, at one point in our circular walk, there is a loop. So Colin walks straight ahead and I go with Ivy down, along and then back up. When we get to the bottom of the loop, we can't see Colin, but we know he's there. He's just out of sight. So I say to Ivy, right, now, off you go. Find Grandad. Go see where he is. Find Grandad. And she is off, like a greyhound out of the trap. There's no hesitation. There's no looking to the right or the left. There's no stopping to sniff at anything interesting. She passes other dogs at speed until she reaches her goal. I'm left trailing behind, puffing and panting up up the path. But when I reach the top, Ivy is there, and she's sitting at the feet of the one she loves. And every morning, I think, that's what I should be like. I should be running the race with perseverance. I should be fixing my eyes on the goal. And there are, of course, many things to distract us in life and cause us to lose our focus. I appreciate that when you've got jobs to go to and families to care for, then time is short but it's our hearts that are more important to Christ than any service that we can perform or any rules that we keep. God is more concerned with who you are than what you do. And I learned this the hard way because it's not always the bad things which distract us from our relationship with the Lord. It can be allowing our work for the Lord and our service in the church to become more important than the Lord himself. It's always a little bit difficult when you're preparing a sermon to get a balance between wanting to focus on Jesus and make Jesus at the forefront, but with also sharing some personal stories about your own struggles. Now, I wouldn't want anybody to get the impression that people on the platform have it all sorted, because far from it, and I'm not really proud of this next confession. But for many years in this church and in our previous church, I was part of the leadership team, and I was totally committed to it. I thought about church all the time, always thinking, always planning, big to-do list on my desk. I thought of myself as being quite a big fish, albeit in a small pond. But my self-worth and identity all came from my role in the church, which I loved. Now, platforms can alter your perspective of yourself, and give you an overinflated ego. However, situations change. Things don't stay the same. And for various reasons, I was no longer in that role. There was no to-do list on my desk anymore. And I felt like a fish out of water. I was angry and disappointed with myself for having such pride and that I wasn't more humble and servant-like. And I could identify with the people the Apostle Paul wrote to in Galatia, when he said, you foolish Galatians, after beginning with the spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? It wasn't that I stopped going to church or reading my Bible or praying, but I was beating myself up for failing as a Christian and not having the right attitude. I thought that God would be grieved by my attitude. However, I now realize that Jesus feels compassion Not only for those who are innocent victims, but for those who, like me, were miserable as a consequence of their own bad attitude. There's a song that we sing occasionally that moves me to tears. May I never lose the wonder, the wonder of the cross. May I see it as the first time, standing as a sinner lost, undone by mercy and left speechless, staring wide eyed at the cost. May I never lose the wonder. wonder of the cross. I can now see and thank God that he rescued me from myself. And I'm not saying that everything I do now is from pure motives, but I'm no longer trying to earn approval. I know that God loves me and you, not for what we do, but because he is love. Although I think it's still important that we obey his word. And I share that this morning to help us to see that it's not just bad things that can cause us to lose our focus. It can be worthwhile things that capture our hearts, but our main focus must always be on the Lord Jesus. I read a book a little while ago. In fact, I read it twice because I really liked it. It's by Judas Smith, and it's called Jesus is blank. And I thought, Jesus is, now fill in the blank. What would you say? Jesus is what? Now I don't want to detract from anything that the other preachers are going to say over the next few weeks, but I thought we might just look at the person that we're fixing our eyes upon. So Jesus is saviour of the world. Jesus is my saviour. And I've no doubt that Jesus would wish to be saviour of the whole world. And certainly it's not God's will that any should be lost. But there are some sad verses in the Bible In John's gospel, he says that he, Jesus, came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Now, can you imagine that? He, God, who created it all, came to the earth, and people didn't recognize him. They didn't realize who he was. But the Bible says that to those who did receive him, he gave the right to become God's children. We are all of us, God's creation, but only those who have put their trust in Jesus to save them are God's children. And we read at one point that Jesus looked out over the city of Jerusalem, and he was so concerned about the people living there that he said, "'Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, "'how I have longed to gather you "'as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings, "'but you were not willing.'" How sad is that? You were not willing. Because God gave mankind free will because he didn't want a bunch of puppets. He wanted us to make our own choices because forced love is not love at all. God gave us the ability to choose him or to reject him. And we are all born with a tendency to reject God and go our own way. And that is the root of all sin. Because sin basically means missing the mark. God set the mark and we've all missed it. But Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to save it. However, we must be willing. We must choose to accept his offer of salvation through the finished work of the Lord Jesus. At the end of the day, there are only two kinds of sinners in the world. Those who think they're doing all right and those who know that they need saving. Both sinners, we're all sinners. But I just wonder, this morning, Which kind are you? The kind that think you're doing okay or the kind you know that you need Jesus and you need his salvation? Jesus is, Jesus is Lord. I remember when I first became a Christian in 1983, I knew that Jesus had saved me and we used to sing songs about Jesus being Lord and I wasn't sure if it was the same thing. So a few weeks after I was saved, I went to visit a Christian friend and I remember saying to her, I know that Jesus is my saviour, but how do I make him Lord of my life? And she said, well, you just tell him. You just give him full control of your life. So I did, and I meant it then, and I still mean it now. I just haven't always put it into practice. I read recently, we live out what we truly believe. We may say otherwise, and intellectually we may know better, but our actions, our lifestyles, and our decisions are all reflections of our belief systems. And to be honest, Jesus is Lord, whether you believe it or not. This is his universe, and he is Lord. The question is, is he your Lord? Are there still areas of your life that you need to submit to him? Janice used to sing a song with words that went, one fine day when I look at his face, beautiful face, thorn-shadowed face, one fine day when I look at his face, I will wish I had given him more. Jesus is. Jesus is here. His name is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He said that when he went back to heaven to be with the Father, he would send another, exactly the same nature, in the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised that he would be with us to the end of the age. Now, we can't see him or touch him in a physical sense, But the Holy Spirit is our comforter, our counsellor and teacher. Jesus is with you in your home, in your workplace, in all kinds of trouble. Not just when everything is going well and you're full of faith, but when you're struggling. His love is unconditional. Elizabeth Barrett Browning wrote a famous love poem which began, How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. We can never count the ways that God loves us. His love is more perfect than any earthly love. Jesus is there for us when we need him most, whether at times we know it or not, whether we appreciate it or not. Jesus will never give up on us. He's not there to check up on us or to condemn us when we get things wrong. God is for us, he is with us, and he is always there for us. So no matter what anybody else says about us, no matter what our emotions tell us, no matter what our aches and pains say, God is with us and we are loved. Jesus is. Jesus is relentless lover. A Bible study I did quite recently had this title, Jesus, Relentless Lover. It's not a Bible verse, words exactly, but I thought it was very apt. It does say much of the truth about him. As Jesus told stories to show the kind of love that that God has for mankind, he talked about lost sheep, where the shepherd left the 99 other sheep to go and search for the one that was lost. A lost kine that a woman swept and searched until she found it. And in both cases, there was rejoicing when the lost item was found. In the story of the lost son, the boy asked his father for his inheritance early, and he went off and squandered his fortune. Then he found himself in real trouble, alone, friendless, and starving. Eventually, the son thinks to himself, Even my father's servants have enough to eat. I'll go back and offer to be a servant in my father's house. Along the road, he was rehearsing what he would say. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He was filthy. His clothes were rags. He was destitute. But the Bible says that when he was a long way off, his father saw him coming. He ran to his son and he kissed him and he welcomed him home with open arms. And I just thought, look at the expression on that father's face. Bring the finest robe, put sandals on his feet and a ring on his finger. Kill the fattened calf. We must celebrate the return of my beloved child. Now, when God looks at us and sees the state we're in, he doesn't sit back and think, well, they got what they deserved. He is filled with compassion and longs to bring us home. It's mind-boggling that the sustainer of the universe who dwells in unapproachable light pursues us. He has chosen you not because he had to, but because of love. And his is a love that will not let you go. It's worth noting that in those days, older men did not run. It was undignified. But nothing could keep that father from his son. The son tried to make his speech to say that he was unworthy to be called a son. To be honest, he wasn't worthy before he left. He wasn't a son because he'd earned the right to be. He was a son because he was born of the father. And the original language implies that the father covered him with kisses Herbert Lockyer puts it like this. Often he had looked down the road for this moment and now his outgushing pity and unrestrained overflowing manifestation of tender fatherly embrace were proofs of his unextinguished love for his lost son. And how suggestive this is of God's welcome for the penitent sinner. Once enfolding in his fatherly arms, there is no casting up of sins God kisses the past into forgetfulness. In the words of amazing grace, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. I'm just going to ask if the musicians could come back up now. To conclude, the first verse that we looked at this morning said that we should run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. In 1981, a man named Bill Broadhurst entered a 10K race in spite of the fact that 10 years earlier, he'd suffered a brain aneurysm. He knew it wouldn't be easy, but a famous long-distance runner and his own particular hero, Bill Rogers, was competing in that race. Rogers won the race that day in 20 minutes and 37 seconds. Bill Broadhurst was still struggling after an hour. His paralysed left side felt like a dead weight. After two hours... Cars were let back onto the streets, so crossing was really difficult. At two hours and 20 minutes, Bill didn't think he was going to make it, but then he saw the end. As soon as he saw it, his heart sank. The banner was gone, and everybody had left. As he limped forward, he noticed there was a small group of people to one side. They moved to greet him, and Bill Rogers, the winner of the race, was waiting there for him. As Bill crossed the line, Bill Rogers took the medal off his own neck and put it round him, the last runner to finish the race. And what a picture this is for us. Jesus, the first runner, the author and perfecter, has not forgotten us, struggling runners that we are. He has taken hold of us, making us fit for the race, and he's cheering us on towards the goal. So let us fix our eyes on him. Like Bill Broadhurst running the race with perseverance in spite of the obstacles. And like our terrier, Ivy, focused on racing toward the one she loves. So whether you're like Ivy, racing ahead, or like me, struggling to get there, eventually we will be there, sitting at the feet of Jesus. This is the end of this message. We hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more about our church, please visit www.chowdean.org.uk and please take a minute to rate our podcast on iTunes.